Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Going to put a little bit of a warning forward today for you. If you are easily triggered by stories of alien abduction, today is probably going to be the show that you're going to want to at least keep a keep an ear on and uh, have a quick out for. Um, today is going to be a hard show to listen to. I'll tell you because this is not a love and light show about UFOs and aliens. Uh, we're going to get down to brass tacks and we're going to talk about the darker side of alien abduction today. It isn't all love and light, folks, and unicorns and happiness. Uh, there is a darker side to this. We've had our guest Nathaniel Gillis on before, and he's he's kind of uh, reached that subject and, and kind of bridged things for us as far as that goes. We've talked about certain things before, but one of the things that intrigues me is the... Let's face it, folks. Let's let's put it the way it, it should be put. The fact that there is a darker element out there and the fact that we don't wrap our arms around the reality of that is something that astounds me, that we don't talk about it more often, that we don't face facts. There's a woman out there that's had a horrifying experience that it was brought to my attention by our good friend Michelle and I wanted to bring her on the program and talk to her. Karen Wilkinson is the author of Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. She's the regular writer, contributor to L.A. Marzulli's monthly newsletter, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural. She's also a wife, mother, and grandmother, and she's worked in the software industry for many years before leaving to raise her family. Now, this is her quote. For as early as I can remember, I have been abducted by non-human alien entities possibly hundreds of times think about how scary that is she also says i've seen many uaps ufos throughout my lifetime and suffered emotional and physical ailments and had surgeries due to the things that they've did to me i pray that i can utilize my experiences to glorify God, to share the truth, and to help others in any way I can. We're going to bring on Karen now to, to help out any of you out there right now who are suffering, who need to hear these words from Karen today. Let's talk to her right now. Let's bring in Karen Wilkinson to Darkness Radio. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hi, Tim. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited to be on your show, and it's great to get to meet you and talk with you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you being here. Uh, well, let's just say it like it is, Karen. It's it's not all love, light, and unicorn farts out there, I guess. No. Um, it's it's a darker universe, that's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I'm trying to get across in this book is an opportunity for to start a conversation and to be able to talk about these things that are happening um, to try to help remove a little bit of the stigma that, you know, if you say this has happened to you, you're a crazy person. Mm -hmm. um, we know now more and more from government disclosure or um, confirmation, I should say, yeah. that, um, you know, they're starting to admit that these things are real and they're really happening. And the things that happened to me have happened to many other people. Now, so I'm trying to get that conversation going. 
I noticed a little bit of eye roll when you said disclosure. I, I know that there's <laughs> there's acknowledgement. We can call it government acknowledgement. Yeah. I don't think it's yeah. disclosure by far. No, definitely not disclosure by any any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely can, not. Can you can you expound on it a little bit? What you what you think about government disclosure and and how far you think they'll actually go with it? Sure. Um, honestly, I don't think. My personal opinion is I don't think we'll ever have a full disclosure. I don't think that that would profit them in any way. I think that they'll continue to give us bits and pieces of information, especially as long as it helps them show that the U.S. is ahead of the game when it comes to reverse engineering, Mm -hmm. when it comes to understanding um, these non-human entities and things like that and their technology. So I think as they have to, as more and more information is coming forward from other sources, they will go ahead and do whatever they need to do to confirm that and to keep the narrative in their control. As long as they're controlling the narrative and as long as they're the ones who are feeding the information, then we're only going to get what they want us to know and what they want us to see and hear. It may seem like I'm putting the cart before the horse with my listeners here, but do you in your mind feel like our government's made a deal with the devil in order to get this engineering, this reverse engineering, this technology? Oh, for sure. I mean, if, you know, not to get uh, biblical or woo on everybody, but that goes back into the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible, where they're making deals and making trades with fallen angelic beings for technology and knowledge and information. It goes back to the garden, you know, when Mm -hmm. Eve was tempted by the Nikosh, by the Satan. So, you have to, you know, look at it as they had something to gain. And I will say that during some of my abduction experiences, there were human beings there working with these entities in these facilities that they would take me to. So somebody has made a struck a deal with them, whether it's our government, whether it's a, an offshoot, whether it's a completely separate, wholly separate entity, someone has made a deal. Someone is getting information. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So in that, and and we'll get to your story here in a bit, because I want to unfold this story completely here. Um, In that, in that deal that's been made, Mm -hmm. do you think that our entire government is in on it? Because it sounds like the way you stated that, that maybe there's a shadow government and then there's our actual government. Maybe one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. Right. I think what we've seen through the ufo confirmation and information that's been released is that one hand doesn't know what the other is doing Mm -hmm. so i think there are wholly separated pieces of our government and of agencies that are separated from the government so that they don't have to report when they do contracts such as with um, an outside company um like raytheon or someone then they they're not required to report things the way a normal government agency would have to report. So I think that, you know, we don't have those answers. We probably never will because they're not going to share that information. Mm -hmm. But, and, and I think for any type of full disclosure to happen, it would mean that whoever was involved would have to admit to their involvement of allowing, you know, people we've all seen, um, things about, well, some some people have seen things about the cattle mutilations that happen, especially here in Texas where I live. Mm -hmm. Um, and other people being abducted, you know, the, someone's granted permission for that to happen. Yeah. And um, so 
if they were to do full disclosure, they would have to admit who granted that permission, who allowed that tra- that trade of technology for the use of experimenting on the people and the animals in our world. And, and I don't think they're going to do that. No. No. <laughs> Karen, without disclosing too much of your story right away before we get into it, let me ask you this question. Um, Have you in your experience throughout your life come across a secret government agent or someone that that could be construed as a a man in black or a secret government agent? No, you know, that's one thing I haven't run across is any of the quote unquote men in black, any strange strangers coming around. But, you know, I also kept my mouth shut for most of my life. Okay. I mean, if that's going to happen now is probably the time it would happen. You would think. But, you know, I've, I was told to keep quiet and I did. So, no. Is there a fear now that you've you've come out with this book and, and you've come out with this book under L.A. Marzulli's umbrella? Has L.A. said anything to you about, you know what, now that we've come out with this book, keep your eyes open or here are the things you need to look out for? Yeah, I think that that is just the common sense reaction for me for doing this is just to be aware. Um, and, um, you know, doing this was me stepping out in faith. And I really felt strongly about writing it. I felt a strong um, leading to write it in my faith. And I think that, um, and I know that my I will be prepared for whatever comes my way because it's worth it if I can help people with this. It's completely worth it. And I'm I'm keeping my eyes open and uh, watching watching around the corners. But you know, beyond that, I can't I can't live a life just always looking over my shoulder. There's a couple other questions I want to ask here before we get to your story, and that's this. You know, we were talking about the arrow hearings, the government hearings. Mm-hmm. One of the things that hasn't been brought up yet is alien abductees and people who have been abducted by aliens. Do you right. think they'll get to that subject, or do you think that subject will be swept under the rug? You know, I don't know. I was I was very interested to see the people they had testifying and the people they had from the public um, arena offering information. What I didn't see was I didn't see any abductees. I didn't see anyone in many of the industries that I'm aware of and the people who've written amazing um, books and done amazing movies about it, such as L.A. Marzulli. I didn't see them reaching out to the people who've done put in the years, the 10,000 hours, done the years of study, yeah. the years of research, and the years of sharing information, and who have really confirmed and worked hard to put that information together yeah so it seems to me like there it's just a very contrived narrative that they're trying to stick to without actually bringing in the true experts and the true experts are out there there are people like me people like la people like the hundreds of other um, survivors of this that i've spoken to whose voices should be heard but probably never will be let's play a little what if game here real quick Let's say you get tapped by Congress to come in to one of these arrow meetings and you decide to show. At that point, do you unfurl your story to Congress? And if so, do you hold back or do you give them the entire story? And do you feel like it's A, a waste of time or B, like it's being put out there for a reason or an agenda? Yeah, I think if they, you know, it's hard to know what their agenda is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if I asked, they wouldn't give me a straight answer. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, 
the only thing I can do is share my truth and share my truth to the point that it's helpful and useful. There are some things that I didn't put in the book because they're not helpful or useful for anyone and they would probably trigger people. Okay. So I tried to keep it as succinct as possible and to points that would just point to what's going on without hurting or upsetting anyone who might read it. Okay. And I think I would feel the same way there too. All I can do is, is say the truth, say what's happened to me and hope that it's used in a beneficial way. Okay. All right. That sounds fair. Uh, let's do this. Let's, let's talk a little bit about your beginning. So let's talk about uh, where you grew up and, and your very first memory of coming across these beings. Let's first start about uh, your upbringing. Karen, where did you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in the Midwest, central Ohio, you know, um, we had a family farm. So, you know, we were just barefoot kids running around playing in creeks and running through fields and normal going to school, going to church kind of things. Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing that unusual. Um, the first memories I had, and one thing that was sort of unusual, I'll back up a bit, was that we were very close to the Serpent Mound in Peebles, Ohio. Okay. We were also very close to the um, Hopewell Earthworks in Chillicothe, Ohio, and Site Mound, oh. and all of these mounds, uh, all these ancient earthworks, which yeah. you know they say are the um, original um, American uh, mounds and earthworks, but they they're those people say they're not ours, you know, that they were here before us. Right. So, you know, I won't get into that argument because that can <laughs> open another can of worms. But sure. we were around all those places which are, you know, have a, a lot of high strangeness going on around them as it is. Yes. Um, yeah. And um, my f- earliest memories, it's the earliest memories I have are of being taken of being just a scared little kid looking for a place to hide at night when he went to bed because I didn't want them to take me, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that there was nowhere to hide. I, I write in the book because there was a point which I thought maybe if I got a suitcase big enough to get in it, I could get under the bed, zip it up, and they wouldn't find me in there because I'd have all these, like, you know, but it didn't matter what I did. They always found me. Oh my so my earliest memories are being taken. I don't remember a time when I wasn't. Now, let me ask you this, Karen. Is this a familial thing? Is this a is this a thing that you had you had mothers and aunts and and dads and uncles and you had ancestors that had been taken before you? I can't speak to that to the people who in my family who are still alive. I can't speak to their stories. Okay. But what I can say is it is a it is something that runs in family lines and okay. um I believe the reason for that is because once they find a DNA that works for them or a blood type that works for them or a person that whose temperament is right, you know, who, who knows? There's so many different reasons that they would, could, would and could and do pick people mm-hmm. and not other people. They, their lifespans are much longer than ours. So it makes sense to continue down a family line, continue to get that genetic material that's as closely matched from one to the next as they can. Now, so, you, you say their lifespans are longer than ours. Do you know how long their lifespans go for? I have no idea. No. Hmm. Okay. Sure. But but you know, they they track our lifespans for, for do they track us? If, if, like, say for you, for instance, will they track you for your entire life? I don't know. Um, they still try to bother me, but they can't take me anymore. So I'm, you know, free from that now. Um 
but um I think that they track people pretty much their whole lives. As long as they're getting genetic material that works for them, that's useful, whether it's blood or tissue or sperm or eggs or, you know, ovum or whatever they're taking. Um, as long as they can continue to get that material and it's working, you know, why would you stop? That's like, you know, why would you sell the cow that's giving you the best milk in the, right. on the farm? Okay. It's so, um, and the the ones that I were with that I knew were the same, there were a few of them that were always with me, especially one in particular who I write about, never seemed to age. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So mm-hmm. I, I hate to put it in this perspective, but I, I it, I'm going to put it in the farm farmer livestock perspective here. Okay. As long as you are a good breeder, you are useful to them. The minute you are not a good breeder, you're put to the side. Right. I think that's probably true. And I think if you're not a good breeder, yeah, you're still useful for other things. You know, you still have blood and tissue that works. So they they continue to harvest you until you're unharvestable. Absolutely. And they can also utilize you to share a message. I mean, you know, if you're being um, brought into a program where they want you to share a particular message to people, whatever their message might be, whether it's they're the benevolent um cedars who've come to help us which no i do not believe that to be true mm-hmm. um then you know if you've been kind of programmed your whole life to you know being with them and hearing the same message from them over and over and over again then you're useful to them in sharing that message you know and they wanted me to be one of those people who was out there sharing that message of there are alien brothers there are cedars they're here to help us you know and that's not true at all is there a type of Stockholm syndrome that goes on with this? Very much so. And I write about that in the book too, that I had a great deal of Stockholm syndrome towards the handler who was with me for my whole life. And I don't remember a time when he wasn't with me um, as a young child. And that, you know, relationship obviously changed as I was older and able to provide them with eggs and, you know, with ovum and things like that. But you just, I, I really didn't like that. I felt that way about him, yeah. you know, but I just, I had a connection. We'll get into that here a little bit later. Um, so I want, I want to talk about the very beginnings. It, it sounds like in the beginning, there's fear. You, you're, you're looking to hide yourself away in a suitcase and try to get away from them. Explain to me in the very beginning as a young child with the fear, obviously there's pain. Can you take me through, as a child, your first memories of what it's like to be abducted? What is it that you see? Yeah, I mean, you're a small child, but the first thing you notice is you feel it. You feel just a terror start to come over you before anything even happens. You just feel it's that sense of some foreboding, something bad is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Quite often, you know, we would be in the country, all the crickets and cicadas and things would suddenly just stop and it would get silent. And then um, there often would be a couple of the small gray entities in the room and I would be levitated off of the bed through an op- through a closed window, sorry, or through the ceiling. And you're when this happens, many times you're kind of shut off at that point which is like being put to sleep almost like when you go in for surgery and you're you know put to sleep because you don't remember any of those things but not every time and the times that i wasn't shut off as they say 
it um you would just feel your whole body start to vibrate and feel like it was just i've said this before it just go into a million bazillion little pieces almost like ball bearings and you just go through a window or through a ceiling saying to yourself how am i going through the ceiling how am i going through this window it doesn't make sense but you know they don't they don't adhere to the same laws of physics that we do and they have the ability to apply different laws of physics to us because they weren't born of this earth or for this earth the way we were so you know we can't put them in a little box and expect to understand um but to back up sorry i'm digressing a little do they do they say anything to you before they decide to put you through the, the the wall or the ceiling do they announce that they're there or what they're there to do Sometimes they'll say something if you're getting upset, like, you know, I was a little kid, so I'd have incontinence issues from it. Okay. Often, or um, get upset and start to, you know, cry or whatever. And they'd be, it's okay. It's okay. And it's, it's, they're speaking to you, but not verbally, but you're hearing it in your telepathically. head. Telepathically. Um, yeah. Like telepathically is, okay. is the best way to describe it. And, you know, they, it's okay. You're fine. You know, you're fine. It's all okay. We're, you know, just, Nothing specific, all very general, general statements, nothing to specifically help calm you down. But um, but they did have a way of calming you or putting you under just by like touching your forehead or running their hand over your forehead or different things like that. They had different uh, which I, I do not understand how all of it works, obviously, but they did have ways of of easing pain or calming you down Um so it was but, almost like they were telekinetically shutting down your 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 brain centers. Is that a, is that a fair way of saying it? That's a very fair way to put it. Absolutely. And then sometimes they would replace the memories of what was happening with what we call screen memories. Okay. Which is like looking in a virtual reality headset, and you're seeing something completely different than what's going on around you. I mean, a couple of years ago, it would have been really hard to describe, but now that we have VR. It's pretty easy to describe if you've ever put one of those headsets on. You feel like you're, you know, walking on that sidewalk or over that little cliff or whatever with a VR headset on. It's very similar to that. It's it's hard to tell the difference. It's almost impossible. So when you see that, do you feel like maybe we co-opted that technology directly from them? Oh, that's a good question. I really hadn't thought about it that way, but it's entirely possible. I mean, I think a lot of our technology has probably come from them because there's just no explanation for the leaps and bounds that we've made in the last hundred years. You go from Gutenberg and the printing press to this in this tiny period of time. When you look at what we have of our recorded history, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, the explosion of AI to me is is almost unexplainable. It, it's yeah it, it and it's scary it's very scary because yeah. you can't tell the difference you couldn't tell if i was ai or real right now i mean you know that right. i am obviously real i'm gonna yeah yeah we've been talking yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes yeah. we've had our conversations but yeah. it's very hard to tell yeah you know? it is it is and deep fakes are very scary as well very scary um so they they managed to move you through the ceiling or 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 to manage to get you or teleport you up to the ship or they're getting you to the ship at this Mm -hmm. point, if you're still awake and they've managed to calm you and they're not screening your, your memories, Mm -hmm. if you're managing to be somewhat alert through that, Mm -hmm. what is it you're remembering at that point? Yeah. So, you know, I have bits and pieces of memories of different um, examinations 
one, it felt like it looked like a big x-ray machine. I have no idea what it was, but I was little, you know, mm-hmm. so I didn't know what all these machines were. There were so many different gadgets and machines and things around me. I didn't know what they were used for, but they would, you know, draw blood or they would take skin scraping samples or they would be looking at my ears and my eyes or my looking at my spine or, or doing something that seemed like an x-ray or putting a needle. One time they put a needle in my neck. I don't know what that was about. Hmm. Um, yeah, that wasn't pleasant. Um, you know, and I remember just, just things like that. So lots of different kinds of medical testing and, I think, you know, to see how we react to different things, you know, that type of thing. Do you ever remember an implant being put inside you? You know, um, I don't, I'm not sure if that's what the needle in my neck was. Okay. But I have a, a, a scar here, but I haven't seen anything. Nothing has shown up for that. The only place I had something was in my elbow. And a couple of years ago, and I have a divot here where it started to poke on my elbow and I, I I took it out myself. Really? <laughs> Probably wasn't very smart. And it went, I was over the sink. It looked like a little grain of rice. Okay. Almost, but smaller, just a little bit smaller because it was like opaque, like clear, but that size. And it went straight down the, almost like it was driven. It went straight down the drain. Really? Yeah. Almost like it was just magnetized to go down there or something. And I was thrilled. I was just running the water and you know you're right yeah yeah Yeah. i didn't want it anywhere near me so that's the only thing i've ever found other than that i have no idea if there's one anywhere else on me i haven't really looked how deep was it in the skin was it surface level or was it pretty deep in it it was pretty deep in but it must have been pointing out because i was able to get the tip of it and then take it out and then i grabbed it with tweezers okay and just yanked it out Interesting. It wasn't easy to get out. Let me tell you, that was sorry. That wasn't easy to get out. It was, it was a process. But I just wanted it out. Whatever it was, I could tell it shouldn't be there, and I wanted it out. Yeah. So I bet it was a fight. That's for sure. It was, but you know, and I don't really write or talk about it too much because I don't have proof of right. what it was because right. it went down the sink. Yep. But to the best of my knowledge, that's what it was. Well, a lot of people who yank these implants out don't have a lot of proof unless they've managed to capture it and take it to some sort of doctor and have them look at right. it or a scientist and have them look at it. Like um, Emil Duick, patient 17, who was, that was Ellie Marzulli's. He yep. was uh, Ellie Marzulli's person. And, um, but we don't have many people. Right. Right. Who there, are doctors who can take it out. Right. There just aren't that many people who, who, uh, and, and there aren't that many scientists who will look at it and, mm-hmm. and, uh, for lack of a better term, verify or dignify that that's uh, an implant. They may tell you it's something completely different. Well, right. What are you going to do? Go to your family doctor and say, hey, I think I have an alien implant in my, yeah, yeah, that's not my elbow or my knee. Can you take it out? Or they're going to laugh at you. Yeah, exactly. And that's another reason to try to get these conversations started. It's another reason that I wrote this book. It's I really just want to find a way for it to be okay for people who've had this happen to them to have a conversation about it, to find someone to talk to. Right. Right. So at what point, um, and let me see where we are. Okay. So I'm going to, I tell you what, we're going to take our break right here. And then when we come back, I want to ask you this question here, Karen, I want to find out at what point do you know that you have a handler? Because this term absolutely frightens me that there's a handler that someone is assigned to you uh, almost like a, and I'm going to use this term and it's absolutely going to chill me that there is a, 
a slave master mentality to this. And that's exactly what it is, isn't it? Yeah, that, that makes sense. I never thought of it that way, but that's exactly how it is. Yeah. So you yeah. have you have someone assigned to you, a handler, for lack of a better term. Well, that is the term. That's um, the term I use in the book, yes. Yes, that's the term you use in the book. And that you have this unique relationship with this handler. We're, we're going to talk about that when we come back. And at what age is this handler assigned to you? Um, we'll talk about all this when we come back. Folks, I'm telling you, this is going to get stranger and stranger. And again, it's all a very, very true story. It's all the the trauma that gone through. The name of the book is Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. And the book is, is available for pre-order right now. Uh, at lamarzuli.net. We'll have a link in the description of this program that you can click on right now and go get the pre-order for that book so you can you can have it again delivered right to the home. Uh, again, folks, this is a fascinating story, a fascinating guest. When we come back, we'll find out exactly when this handler came along and what exactly happened when this handler came along. We'll find out more with our guest, Karen Wilkinson, right after this on the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is Karen Wilkinson. The book is Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. Uh, We have a link to it in the description of this program. When we left you before the break, we were talking about how Karen Wilkinson has now been abducted multiple times by what we could call, well, for lack of a better term, uh, aliens from a UAP, a UFO, uh, I believe, what is the new term now, Karen? Is it a uh, non-human? NHI, non-human intelligence. Non-human <laughs> intelligence. The latest yes. one I heard, yes. Yes. That's something new every day. It just. The, the titles keep getting longer. I know that. And crazier, yeah. right. In, just, in order to be uh, politically correct, I guess. Although, I, guess. <laughs> I don't know that they care if we're politically correct. I don't think correct. they really care what we call them. I don't think they're concerned at all. No, not at all. <laughs> Uh, So when we had left our audience, uh, we were starting to talk about the fact that you had a handler assigned to you and that you developed this unique relationship with this handler. First of all, what age is this handler assigned to you? I don't remember a time when he wasn't around. I mean, probably around five or six is when I really remember walking around with him, um, walking around the ships or the underground facilities where they had us. uh, And he was just kind of always there. He was just had a very, very muscular build, square jaw, looked very military type, you know, clean cut, haircut, um, almost though it just like buzz cut. Um, Always looked the same, um, but was always there, was always either comforting me or telling me where to go or you know what was going to happen or what we were doing this time and or just there just hanging out with me basically um you know sharing information that kind of thing so he was just always with me now is this a non-human alien or is this a human handler that's that's handling you he appeared as human 
um, most of the time. But later on, and especially as I got more close to him and, and intimate with him, he would show me his true appearance. Okay. Which was much different, which was not human. He is he is what I would call um yeah, he's he was not human at all. He was more what I've seen I don't I haven't seen anything that looks like him, but the closest I can say would be like what people think of when they think of a reptilian okay. alien. Okay. And I haven't seen a picture that looks anything like him. So So he's a shapeshifter. They are able to appear as different sh- yeah, different forms. Absolutely. Very interesting. Um, so for lack of a better term, this handler is grooming you from the time you're, you're young. Absolutely. That is exactly what was happening, making it so that I was comfortable with him, that I was confident in his ability to keep me safe or to watch out for me, creating a relationship with me and a rapport with me so that I would parrot the messages back that they wanted, that I would do what they wanted with with less resistance and just be a more amenable captive, if you will. How does this affect your outside relationships with, with other humans? I mean, what? It, you don't make good choices. Let's put it that way. Um, I didn't yeah. make the best choices um, because I was used to something that was clearly an unhealthy relationship. So, yeah. You know, initially, um, until I was able to deal with this, I wasn't making good choices. Um, you learn when, from the time you're really young, to compartmentalize this. Okay. You live two lives. I think um, uh, was Dr. David Jacobs or somebody coined that phrase, double life, because you really do live two lives because you can't talk about it. And not just because they've told you not to and, and threatened you and your family, but because who's going to believe you? I mean, it sounds fantastical. It sounds beyond belief. I've talked to so many women who've had almost identical experiences to mine throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. And the same, you know, the same things happen. And we'll be talking like, oh my gosh, me too. Oh, you had one of those too. Oh, you had, we all had a handler, a different one. You know, we -hmm. all had similar things like that. So, but who are you going to tell? You know, so you just live a double life. And and no, you don't make good choices because, uh, quite frankly, it really messes you up. So, and it took a lot of therapy for me to get myself together to the point that I could do this. And I did a lot of PTSD, PTSD therapy after my near death, which I call near life experience. And I write about that in the book as well. And that's really what helped me heal to the point that I could write about this and share this and begin to talk about it. There's so many different questions here, Karen. There's <laughs> so many different questions. Um, let's start first of all with the emotional. Um, because in, in this situation, if you're being groomed from a young age, mm-hmm. I take it you see what a normal relationship looks like between your parents, right? Or do you not? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, you know, we weren't 
an outwardly um, emotional family. I just saw a normal, yeah, normal husband and wife. My parents stayed married their whole lives. So it wasn't anything unusual. Okay. Yeah. I saw what that should look like. I saw my friends' parents and other families and things like that. So I understood relationships. But, but also, see, because this was happening from such a young age, I also learned that this was just something that was going to happen. And this happened outside of my normal life. So you know there's something that's not right about this. Right. But I also know that it's been there my whole life. Okay. You know, I don't have a, I never had a, a basis for anything but this because it was right. always happening. So, you know, from such a young age, looking at other people, I was never sure whether to assume this has happening to them or it wasn't, but I couldn't talk about it. And I didn't have anything else to compare it to. So as far as I knew, my life was pretty normal. Because what do you, when that's all you know, you know, you don't have a comparison. When a dog is kept in a cage its whole life and you first set him free in a field, he doesn't know to run yeah. because he doesn't understand what that is. So you get used to it and you, you make excuses for it and your brain compensates for the trauma by covering things, compartmentalizing things, forgetting things. You know, finding ways to just get through it. How do you, how do you function? I'm trying to wrap my head around this. How do you function in normal society, then turn around and serve an alien master? I mean, it's, how do you yeah. switch gears? How does that happen? Compartmentalization. I mean, you really compartmentalize things. And then when you're here, you drink or do whatever. <laughs> Um, I'm not, you know, saying that that's an answer for anything, but no, it's I a lot of compartmentalization and it's a lot of just forgetting, just blocking. Yeah. Blocking it out. I mean, think about it. There are people who are in a, abusive, terrible relationships who go out and seem perfectly normal and okay, or other things, you know, you can, I can bring up different examples like that where you wouldn't know to see them walk down the street what was going on in their lives because everything on the outside seems so perfectly normal. Sure. Right? Sure. It, my whole life was just about appearing normal. Right. Everything's okay. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't upset anyone. Everything's okay. I mean, this is just a mantra in my head my whole life. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. You know, and to the point that, you know, it is that typical, I know us as moms do it a lot where I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, mm -hmm. but that's just what you do. And, and that's, that's what I did. I don't know how I don't, I honestly don't know how I got through it. I don't know how you got by through the grace it. Either. Of God, I got through it. I know how I got through it. It yeah. was by the grace of God. Yeah. I was being sheltered and protected in ways I never knew all along. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Walk me through the worst point where you you thought I I I can't do this I can't get through this I I yeah. just I don't think I I don't think I can live through this there there had to be that one point I I think there was I'm not sure that I'm comfortable talking about it okay. it's a little too triggering but I do write about it in the book and okay. you'll know when you get to that point if, if for anyone who reads the book okay because I do say. If you're not comfortable with this and such, then you might want to not, you might want to skip this section. Okay. Um, but that's kind of where it was like, I think that there are two, two or three points in my life where I think I really broke. Mm 
I think that was one of them. One of them was when I was about six years old and they found me curled up in the corner of a bathroom stall, just rocking, you know, just, I couldn't, I yeah. couldn't do it. And no one would listen to me and I couldn't tell anyone anyway, you know, and, and when I did try, no one understood what I was saying. We didn't have words like we have today. Okay. We didn't have gray alien or UAP or UAP, all these words that we have today. I didn't know what they were. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, it wasn't like they said, hi, we're your gray alien friends and we're here to take you. No, I didn't know what they were. Yeah. I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know why. And honestly, I didn't have any basis for comparison to know how many. I did see other children there. It's not like, well, maybe this is just what happens to everybody. Would they allow you to talk to those children? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not that they would all talk or anything like that. There would be, you know, we would be sitting, there was like um, some toys and weird blocks and things we could play with. And some of the children were clearly not right. Okay. I'm wondering if they were possibly hybrids or something like that. There was something very wrong with some of them. Um, some kids were just scared and crying or not, you know. Uh, I was, I just learned very early to be calm and compliant because that was the easiest way to get through it. You know, the pick you up, do what they're going to do and take you home and it's over. And most of the time you're not going to remember. So that's the other way you get through it is you don't remember every time they take you. It's the after effects of most of it that you remember. That's such a sad lesson. Um, was there ever a time as you got older that you started to remember? I mean, obviously you remember your handler because there's conditions. Oh yeah, I remembered from being little my whole life. I've always remembered these things. It's not that I've, you know, I've pushed them down into a corner into a little right. box in my life so they don't come up during the day when I'm taking my kids to school or, you know, baking cupcakes for the party or going to the grocery store or going to work or, you know, doing the things I have to do or sitting in a meeting, you just you compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone who's gone through a trauma or a traumatic situation learns to do that. So, um, you know, the, the other time was probably after I lost my first child. And when I say lost, because I was pregnant and then I went into the hospital feeling like I was having a miscarriage, but I had not passed anything mm. and there was no baby in my womb. There was, they did a DNC and they said, ma'am, there's no fetal tissue. Are you sure you were pregnant? Well, I'd already been to my doctor's and all that and done all those appointments and had that confirmed yeah. so that was devastating because i couldn't mourn the loss of that child i couldn't bury that child or have a memorial i couldn't find out if it was a boy or a girl because it wasn't there my gosh and i think that was when it really it just that's when i just i think just i just took it and pretended it didn't exist anymore and so after the near-death experience or near-life experience when i did the ptsd therapy mm -hmm. i realized i was i was suddenly starting to deal with those memories too and it gave me a safe place to think about it and to deal with it and to talk about it and i reached out to la marzuli um i just felt led to talk to him i didn't know who to talk to i had no idea um, and he was the first person that popped on my radar and I felt led to do that. I felt like he was just heaven sent to me and he listened to me for no reason. He had no reason to listen to me. He didn't know who I was, but he felt led to me as well, I guess. And, and, uh, that's the start of the story. That's how I was able to start telling my story. And it was just such a relief. Yeah. Told, I told him just a little bit of what had happened. And I, 
I just suddenly felt free for the first time in I, my whole life. I felt just this sense of relief and freedom. And then writing this book was so cathartic. It was emotional. <laughs> yes, my husband, there were a lot of ups and downs, mm -hmm. but it was also very cathartic. And I knew if I could write this down so that other people, other men, other women who've been through this could see that they're not alone and that I'm trying to make it okay to talk about it. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I did it. Yeah. And, and it, it should be okay to talk about it. That's the thing. It, should it, it, it shouldn't be uh, something that you need to double clutch and think about and, and wonder if you're going to be cast out of society because you're talking about it. That shouldn't be uh, something, you know, one of the things, and, and I'll take a little bit of a sidebar and then we'll come back to this. There's some wonderful work being done by Opus. I don't know if you've ever heard of Opus before, but they, they've been on the program here. Uh, Opus provides uh, support for people who have been either abducted by uh, aliens or have had experiences with aliens. And uh, they're, uh, they're a, a group that uh, continues to work with abductees and uh, they, they or people who've had experiences. And oh, wow. they do amazing work. They do amazing work and they're available online and, and they get a hold of you right away. They continue to walk you through uh, these experiences and, and get you help. And, and they're, they're amazing. Um, wow. You have to send me a link to that because yes, I'll I will send people to them too, because we try to talk to people. They reach out to me, they reach out to friends, they reach out to LA, you know, it's hard, but I'll talk to anyone who wants to talk, you know, and I'll go to a conferences and talk to, I don't even know how many people, hundreds, um, I'll talk to anyone who wants to talk, but sometimes, you know, that's not enough. Yeah. And yep. so, yeah, that would be great to have that yeah. to know what to send people. Yeah. Thank you. And, and we'll include a link to Opus in the description of this program so people can Perfect. can get the link uh, as well so that they can, if they've had an experience, they can get uh, help and, and reach out there. Um, Karen, uh, I want to, I want to get an idea or a sense of, of, what happened that day? You say you had this near-life experience or near-death experience. Can you walk me up to what happened that day that you had this experience? Oh, sure. I was going in for another surgery. I've had a lot of them. Um, there are weird things they cannot explain that are happening in my bones and my body, almost as if maybe I've been exposed to some sort of strange radiation. Who knows? Um, hmm. <laughs> and, uh, go figure, right? Um and uh, I was not, I had a couple of IV ports in my arm, one in each arm, because it was a big spinal surgery, but I wasn't hooked up to any machines yet, but I was already in the operating room. Okay. And uh, the nurses were just walking around doing their thing, getting ready. The doctor was in another room and my anesthesiologist comes in to give me the sedative, you know, the help you feel good, fall asleep sedative. Mm -hmm. And she pushes that into my IV or into my IV port because I didn't have an IV in yet. And I wasn't hooked up to anything. So there were no heart monitors or anything. And she just turns and walks away. doesn't say, how's that feel? How are you doing? Nothing. Turns, walks away. This is the only time I saw her twice. I saw her once before that. And then when she did that, she leaned over to give me that. And I noticed her pocket was full of syringes with medication in them. I'm okay. like, huh, what, who carries all those syringes full of medication in their pocket? Right. right. So she does that, turns around, leaves the room. She gave me a paralytic instead of a sedative. <gasps> right. 
And so I died on the table oh alone. God. And as I'm laying there and I'm panicking, and this is where the PTSD therapy came in because I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't shout for help. I was suffocating. It was like drowning without the water. And all of a sudden, as clear as me speaking to you, a voice said to me, it's okay. You can let go now. And took me in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, out of my body. And I was suddenly watching everything. And not just in the operating room, but in all the adjoining rooms, too. It's like I could, like there were no ceilings and no walls separating my vision. I could see, but I wasn't in a corporeal body. Mm -hmm. I could hear, but again, I wasn't in a body like that. I felt the most intense love and peace that I have ever felt in my life. It was like just being wrapped in a warm blanket and not a care in the world. I can't even describe that kind of peace and love. We don't have anything like it. We have nothing like it. Um, it just take the most amazing love you've ever felt and multiply it by a million. And that's probably not even close. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so I watched them revive me and I watched them make the choice to go ahead with the surgery, even though they definitely should not have Yeah, long surgery. Um, and then the next thing I know, and then all of a sudden I was, you know, everything went black. So I don't remember anything after that. Um, or I didn't, you know, because I must have at that point when they revived me, I was back in my body and I was under anesthesia. And then, um, I went into the, I woke up in the recovery room and it took them four hours to get me through recovery because I was in so much pain and I was just screaming. I think as because of coming back into this body and this it was very painful. Yeah. And they had done, you know, really messed up. They couldn't get me out of, um, anesthesia without you know my heart rate going dangerously too high and you know they were afraid i was gonna have a stroke so they kept putting me back under and trying to bring me up and and i the last time before i was finally done i remember praying and saying god help me help me I, why can't i you know why can't they get me awake help me and the next time i opened my eyes there were two young men at the foot of my bed and they were just calming me and reassuring me and i even though i still felt the pain it didn't bother me anymore mm -hmm. and it was fine about you know 20 minutes later 30 minutes later i was on my way back to my room and and grabbing my daughter my husband's hands well you have to meet these two boys they're so sweet oh my gosh they remind me they could be my boys you know because i have a million kids that call me mom that aren't mine and but they were just like that same age, you know, just young kids and scrubs, just adorable. And I'm like, and I'm looking and I'm like, I mean, where are they? Where did they go? And the nurses, ma'am, who are you talking about? I'm like, the two, the two young orderlies and the scrubs that were with me. And she's like, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm like, well, they were with me in the recovery room and all the way up the elevator and all the way down the hall. And she's like, no, honey, it was just me and this doctor. There was no one else with us. Oh, wow. So, so I never saw them again, but they were with me and they got me through it. And that was my um, positive angelic experience because they were just amazing and beautiful. So, you know, not everything out there is evil. Not everything out there is bad. True. And there are really amazing things in this life. And you get through the bad stuff because... I remember looking in the faces of my babies when they were born. I remember the fact that God got me through that experience, that there's just so much good in this world, too. Yes. yes. And, you know, you try to find the balance and you realize we have so much to be thankful for. And mm -hmm. that part of my life is done. They can't hurt me anymore. 
you know, I've, I realized that just, you know, I know you talked to Vicki Joy Anderson about this too. Mm-hmm. I can call on Jesus. I understand that battle. I understand that they have no power over that and they don't have permission anymore. So now I can just be happy, live a life and try to help other people get out of this too. That's an interesting Interesting thing. I want to go down that road for a second here with you, Karen, because okay. uh, I, I've heard this before, and actually Nathaniel Gillis and I have talked about this before, and there is a certain, as far as I understand, with certain beings, there's a hierarchy. Um, he's explained some of these that uh, religious symbols have no effect on, and then there's others that you say the name of Christ, and it drives them off completely. Right. I'm I'm confused as to which ones it, it affects and which ones it doesn't. Well, you know, what I find interesting is like, you know, I wear a cross because it's an outward symbol of my inner faith, not mm-hmm. because this is going to ward off anything. This right. is just this is just something for me yes. to remind me of the sacrifices made for me. But I don't see religious symbols warding anything off generally. I mean, if and I don't put any faith or hope in a symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, I put my faith and hope in Christ Jesus and in, in the Lord, and, and I know that He is all authority. So I can speak His name with authority, and, and none of these entities can harm me or come near me when I speak His name in authority. Right. So there's a hierarchy, yeah, but there's one who's right on top, and that's Jesus, and they can't, they don't go that high. And they don't have power over that. But the the issue then becomes, and I and I know Vicky talks about this a lot too. I keep referencing back to that because this is really her area of expertise. <laughs> is it's not that you're a good, not a good enough Christian, or you're not religious enough, or you're not saying it right or doing it right. That has it has just to do with understanding the authority. In it. Okay. And if you don't, then find someone who can help you and help you learn it or help you, you know, whatever you need to do because there is authority. Okay. in that need and there is safety yeah yeah and i can vouch for that <laughs> are you of the same mind that nathaniel is that these aliens that these non-human entities are essentially demonic in nature well it depends yeah it depends on what you you know they're demons which i believe are the disembodied spirits of the nephilim and the nephilim or the progeny of the fallen angelic beings that we read about in genesis and jasher and enoch in biblical texts and scrolls and ancient texts all throughout the world and then um in the the fallen angelic beings and the humans where they first were doing exchanges for technology and we can read about that and the Bible, and then, um, and when those beings died, they were their spirits became the demonic entities that we know today. Um, and I do believe that the alien entities that are abducting people are demonic. Yes, that they are. They are not benevolent. They are malevolent. They are not out to help us. They're. I believe that they, aside from the grays the smaller grays that come to get us i have very specific ideas on what they are the rest of them i believe are fallen angelic entities our ancient brethren who were created before us who probably built all the giant megalithic structures that we see around the earth that we have no explanation for things like that there are ancient you know angelic brethren who some have fell some have fallen and some have not okay 
Hmm. Two that hadn't were the ones at my bedside that day in the hospital. Some of the ones that were are the ones that came to get me when I was being taken. So uh, if, let me backtrack a little bit then. What what do you believe or do you want to hold on to that knowledge? What do you believe <laughs> the grays are? Oh, I can talk about that. That's fine. Okay. I believe that the grays, the smaller grays, I've seen, you know, there are there are a couple of different kinds of grays. Mm-hmm. There are different types of, of them, but the ones that generally people see that come into people's homes, that come into the abductions, I believe these en- entities to be um, biological suits created okay. with, um, you know, we can create skin and things like that in a laboratory. Mm-hmm that type of thing. Um, I believe they're biological suits intended to house um, various things. AI intelligence, for example, can run them. A demonic entity could inhabit that because they needed, they need a fleshly corporeal being to inhabit. Um, Or they, you know, some people claim they think they could be robotic. That's, you know, close to the AI type thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be used as, as literal type, spacesuits because i don't think that these angel fallen angelic beings can that these alien entities these non-human entities can survive in our environment or in our sunlight it seems like they're either underground or underwater or covered up mm-hmm. and even at the ancient megalithic structures you see the writings and the pictures always depict them covered in yeah. something yeah. some kind of a suit oh, it looks like a spacesuit so i believe these grays are and a lot of abductees Aside, besides myself, people like Whitley Strieber and others have seen the gray suits stacked in corners or hanging up or in drawers on the ships or underground facilities where we were taken. So it's quite clear that they use these things like just little disposable suits to pop things into, to come down to do the work that they need done on the surface here on the earth. And then, you know, so it, it gives them an opportunity to interact with us without having to be here. Wow. Okay. So, and it probably messes with permissions as well. I know Vicky talks a lot about that too, you know, permissions to cross the threshold. I think that probably messes with it as well, especially AI doesn't need the same permissions as, as a corporeal being. Yep. Yep. So now you're looking at something else and you can still defeat that with the, you know, with by proclaiming you that they have to leave, but it's a little bit different. And I know she and I are both writing some things about that. Very interesting. Wow. I just need a second to process that. That's, uh, you know, because, you know, I think we, that brings me to an interesting thought. And that is, you know, what do you think of Hollywood when we look at things like Close Encounters of the Third Kind? And we see, we see movies where people are outwardly contacting greys and things like that. Now, there are different, there are another species of gray as well. They're an older, taller looking species. They're, you can tell the difference because they're taller. They look more wrinkled, almost older. You can see kind of age on them. And their eyes move. You, their eyes will move back and forth, okay. which freaks me out whenever I've been around one because the way their eyes move just is. Um, but um, so those, I believe, are an actual race of entities, a race of beings. Okay. So you're, you're looking at two different things. But if someone's interacting with a gray, then there is either a demonic entity or an AI or or maybe even another entity in that suit. So they are still interacting with something that's either of or at the behest of an alien being. So you're still looking at the same thing. They're just doing the work or mm-hmm. they're working at behest of the, you know, they're doing, they're carrying out the duties 
and delivering the messages and that type of thing. So not all aliens are like that, but I think the little, the small grays are. I mean, look at how they're built, right? Right. They don't have sex organs. They don't have a mouth that opens. Right. They don't have visible ears. They don't, they're not visibly breathing. They have no visible organs. Yeah. They're so frail. It looks like a little kid could just snap them like a twig. Yeah. Yeah. You know, smell because probably that, flesh suit is probably rotting to some degree you know i mean they don't have a pleasant smell like sulfur and dead animal mixed it's um so when you look at the anatomy of them and how they're built it, it makes sense and that was my that's my interpretation of spending so much time throughout my life having interacted with them so what are these things look like when you're on the ship how do they present themselves and and what do these non-human entities look like? Or do they try to present themselves as human when they, they're interacting with you? There are different ones. So, you know, the little grays, the worker grays, um, they just methodically go around and do whatever tasks they're told. The taller, older ones that I described, they pretty much direct those guys. There are the, the ones that look reptilian in nature. Mm-hmm. There are ones that look insectoid in nature. I, when I was little, I was called in the corner sit corner sitters because they had always seemed to be kind of crouched back in a corner watching everybody. Okay. You know, just strange, creepy fellows. So I have no idea how many kinds there are. Um, you know, I've seen so many different, just slight differences between them that I wonder, is that a different species or does he just look different? You know, but honestly, that's not what you're thinking when you're being taken. You're not taking careful notes. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it's hard to, yeah, to think. But those are the ones off the top of my head that I can think of that, you know. There are the Nordic, too, that looked a lot like some of my family members, which as a child made me terrified to go towards anyone on my dad's side of the family um, because they were not very nice. Yeah. And so then when his cousin, his sisters or nieces or nephews would come over because his sister was quite a bit older than him, so he had grown up nieces and nephews. I would not go near them. I'd scream bloody murder because they were skinny and tall and blonde and fair haired and fair eyed. I was terrified of them. And, you know, nobody could understand why. And I'm like, it's them. It's them. No, they don't know what I'm talking about. You know, they just thought I didn't like them. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Yeah. I bet they they were confused. Probably. Um, But I was a little kid. I was three years old or whatever. So, you know, three-year-olds and four-year-olds do strange things. So is it all alien races that are trying to produce hybrids or is it just the Nordics or what are they, is it, is it a game of subterfuge or, or yeah, who are they trying to breed? I don't know. And they never explained to me who they were breed, which ones they were breeding what with. So I have no idea. Hmm. I would be speculating if I were to say which ones I don't, I think, I think it's probably a combination. I really think there's been a lot of trial and error because we saw, you know, LA talks about this, LA Marzulli, mm-hmm. about how, you know, there were the scrawny ones with the scrawny, straggly hair. Then there were the black eyed kids, which is what about the time of mine yep. were. And then they're now they're more human looking than ever. Well, I think they're mixing more and more human DNA and less and less alien DNA. I think they were trying to find that mix where it was just enough. They could survive here on our planet, in our sunlight, in our atmosphere and look human enough, but not be fully human. And that's been going on since Genesis Mm six. And that was the warning 
given in the garden in Genesis 3.15. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in the end, by taking, taking our people, by taking our resources, uh, mm-hmm. I'm putting that lightly, taking our resources, right. our reproductive resources, by our trying to create everything. Yeah, uh, by trying to create a new race, what is it exactly they want and what do you think their end goal is here? Yep. That's a good question. And this is where I will get a little bit. I'm not religious, but I do believe that I am a Christian. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. there's a difference. And I believe in the Bible. I believe in the whole Bible. Okay. And based on that and everything I've seen and witnessed, we are back to the seed war of Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between between you and the woman, between her seed and thy seed. And she will you will, she will crush your head and you will, or he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. So he's talking about Jesus being born, right? Mm -hmm. So that whole Old Testament is trying to corrupt the seed of man so that Jesus is never born. That's where the Nephilim came in and the Genesis 6, when that says that the fallen ones came to the daughters of men, found them beautiful and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, What I believe is happening now is that an attempt to um pull as many people away from the truth as many people away from um the christianity or the truth of god or the one creator as possible and by doing that the more of these they're creating an army chuck dr chuck missler the late chuck missler used to say this satan's outnumbered three to one he's building an army and that's what these hybrid beings are and they're also out here if they're intermingling then they're and for the people they are taking and that they have, you know, convinced to share a false message, then it's going to be able to draw people away. I mean, you can say all you want about them being our benevolent space brothers. I will never buy into that because a benevolent person does not kidnap and torture a small child or rape a young woman. That is not benevolent behavior. They don't go around killing and draining animals of their blood. That is not benevolent behavior. If you're so advanced and you're so intelligent, then find a better way to communicate the fact that you have something, you know, that positive you wanted to share. There are much better ways to do it than kidnapping, raping, and killing. And that's that's why I don't find them benevolent at all. And I, I can't understand when people do, but I do understand that people are groomed that they're a stockholm syndrome and that it's a really nice story i mean everyone wants to believe a happy happy story like that everyone wants these benevolent space brothers to come down from the sky and and bring world peace and free energy and and healthy crops and all that it's not going to happen that's not our story and i'm sorry but that's that's my truth that's I, I tend to side with you on that, uh, Karen, but let me ask you this question as we start to wrap things up today. What happens if these beings do come from the sky and they offer that prize? Uh, Don't do you, do you, What's that? Don't be deceived. You know, you really need to pray for discernment. Our Bible tells us in the end, there will be a great delusion. Even the most elect would be deceived. What do you think that means? It would have to be something so beautiful and so enticing that even the most elect could be deceived. That sounds an awful lot like what you just described, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think, you know, but it also says as long as we are 
praying that we're not deceived and that for that that clarity and that understanding then you know then we're going to be okay we're going to be okay and we have that assuredness our blessed hope yeah there have been whole civilizations that have disappeared off the face of the earth and we don't know how right exactly i mean it was that benevolent was that god coming down to take them was that malevolent was that you know fallen angelic beings taking them to create a colony somewhere who knows but if someone tells you i've been taken off to um an off-earth colony for retraining don't believe them (laughs) that's not where i've gone (laughs) there you go there you go i promise you that okay uh karen wilkinson is our guest the name of the book is stolen seed evil harvest it's available on lamarzuli.net it's up for pre-order right now uh we have a link in the description of this program karen uh I wish you much success with the book and much peace in the future because it it sounds like you are well-deserving of a lot of uh, peace and a lot of quiet in the future. That's for sure. Um, Well, thank you, Tim. And I wish you all the best this world has to offer too. You know, I'm okay if I don't have the peace and quiet. If I can help people get out of this, then I'm happy. That's where I'll find my peace. That sounds so. good. That sounds good. And I'll forward you the information to Opus, and we'll, of course, put, put that up in the description as well. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank my guest, Karen Wilkinson, for joining us today. The book, Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest, is available at lamarzuli.net. We will have a link in the description of this program. Uh, where you can click on it and pre-order the book. It's not available quite yet, but you can pre-order it and have it available for you when it is released. Also, we'll have a link to Opus in case you have been a victim of an alien abduction or had an experience with an alien or non-human entity and are in need of some sort of therapy or someone to talk to uh, about that experience. We'll have a link in the description of this program to opus so you can talk to them or get help with that uh, experience i want to thank you guys for continuing to listen to this program uh, and continuing to be a listener of darkness radio we appreciate you being a listener of darkness radio i know i continue to say that but i i can i continue to appreciate it and want to let you know how much we continue to appreciate your listenership here on the program it is not taken for granted it is something that we Uh, continue to love and appreciate you for and uh, we want to make sure that you uh, truly know how much we appreciate you as a listener Uh, just another reminder uh, folks i know you guys like to binge the program but again we would hope that you would not sit on them for too long we like to get credit for our programs and get credit with our our uh, advertisers as well if you would try to play the downloads within two weeks of getting them we appreciate it Uh, Otherwise, we don't get proper credit for the show. So if you could do that, we appreciate it. Got a good uh, week of shows coming up uh, next week and in the following weeks coming up to Halloween. So we hope you uh, keep keep listening. And if you enjoy a a particular show, you can email me, timatdarknessradio.com, or uh, give us a good review. Give us a good five-star review wherever you listen to this particular podcast. Uh, let's see what else. Oh yeah. We got that, uh, cruiser and bruiser t-shirt coming out soon. Uh, c- keep your eyes on our social media, uh, whether it be, uh, wherever you follow us on social media, Twitter, which is now X, I suppose, uh, Instagram. Uh, if you're confused as to where you can follow us on social media, go to darknessradioshow.com. 
all of our uh, social media is listed there, and you can follow us there. Folks, just a friendly reminder, take care of yourself and each other. If you have someone in your community who is either ill or infirm or needs some help, uh, now is the time of year where we're trying to get our yard work done before the winter moves in. Uh, I know a lot of people need help with yard work. Saw a really inspiring uh, story this past weekend, or week actually, into the weekend, uh, where a gently used, um, what would you call it, a gently used clothing place that gives away clothing to the unfortunate um, ran out of clothing to give and let a local news station here in Minneapolis know that they were going to have to shut their store down. And they aired a feature on them. And the entire community of Minneapolis-St. Paul got together and restocked their shelves within a couple of days. And the ratio was one-to-one, one family donating clothes to a family in need having to recoup those clothes. And now it's 10 to 1, 10 families giving to one family in need receiving. And it it was just a beautiful story. It actually kind of uh, rejuvenated me, re-energized me, got me into the spirit. You know, we're we're still a couple of months away from from the holiday season, but um, really, you you can do these types of things and not have to be in the holiday spirit. Uh, you know, find a, a an organization that needs things like coats. Winter coats are, are needed. Boy, there's my Minnesota accent right there. Uh, winter coats are needed right now as it gets colder. Uh, you know, the fall season's getting chillier. And uh, there are kids out there right now that need coats. So, uh, and, and even uh, adults that need coats, the homeless need warmer stuff right now. Uh, so if you're out and about and you want to drop uh, warmer clothing into one of those boxes or, or into a particular place where they're collecting coats for kids or whatever, or coats for the homeless, uh, please do so this weekend. This weekend is just as good a time as any, uh, or do something for somebody in your community this weekend. Your, your friends here at Darkness Radio would greatly appreciate it. And with that, I'm going to stop preaching and rambling and just tell you to have some fun this weekend as well. Go out and see one of the movies that's out there right now. Uh, that we've all been talking about, whether it be uh, The Exorcist, The Nun, or or one of those scary movies of the season that you want to go see. Uh, Haunting in Venice is a good one as well. Um, And have some fun this weekend as well. We'll see you next week for more of the best in paranormal podcasting. For Bruiser, for Jess, for Mally, I'm Tim Dennis, and thank you so much once again for listening to Darkness Radio.